This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. States and the feds have laws on the books governing drug paraphernalia with associated charges for buying, selling, transporting those items. But those laws stand in the way of public-spirited citizens attempting to set up nonprofits to help their fellows get access to clean needles and maybe other services as well. Cato's Jeff Singer is co-author of a new paper on the trouble with drug paraphernalia laws. We spoke yesterday. Whenever you see a drug bust, police like to post these on social media and they like to spread out their booty, if you will, uh, on a table and say, this is what we've seized. It'll be some amount of drugs, some amount of cash, and often drug paraphernalia. And drug paraphernalia has a legal definition in every state and at, at the federal level. So what is drug paraphernalia? Okay, well, on a federal level, it's against the law to transport drug paraphernalia in the federal statute, to transport drug paraphernalia across state lines. And the federal statute spells out what it considers drug paraphernalia. And it's generally anything, any device or implement that can be used to uh, consume, make, or test uh, illicit drug. That's federal law. On the state level, it's against the law to possess, sell, or distribute drug paraphernalia. And again, each state in their statute usually spells out what they consider drug paraphernalia. And different states actually uh, are different about that. Some are more specific and detailed, some are less. Um, The problem is that uh, with the drug overdose rate now uh, touching 108,000 in 2021, and there's no evidence that it's going to slow down anytime soon, uh, the even the people who have been the most ardent uh, drug warriors are starting to finally recognize what's been recognized by most of the developed world, that harm reduction strategies could help reduce overdose deaths. So, for example, even in the Trump administration, the Surgeon General at the time, Jerome Adams, went around the country urging states to implement what's called, nowadays is called syringe services programs. We used to call it needle exchange programs, but it's more, it's actually more than that. It's not just exchanging needles, it's giving out fentanyl test strips, it's giving out naloxone, the opioid overdose antidote. It's uh, offering people options to get into rehab. So it's really more syringe services. And the, this, has been, uh, th- this has been endorsed by virtually every public health organization. It's got bipartisan support. The CDC is encouraging it. And uh, the National uh, Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine is supporting it. The problem is that if you're a harm reduction organization and you want to set up a syringe services program, you're up against your state's drug paraphernalia. So you got this catch-22 where even your state you know, lawmakers are saying, we would like you guys to set these things up. But, well, I can't because if I hand out a syringe, I'm breaking the law. Or if a person walks away from my syringe service program with a syringe and a fentanyl test strip, that person will get arrested for possession of, of illegal drug paraphernalia. So that's that's the catch-22. So what most states that are allowing syringe services programs are doing is they're kind of passing laws that do carve-outs. They say, this is against the law, except if you're a syringe services program. And we define a syringe services program as meeting these criteria, and they put all sorts of restrictions on it. Well, uh, we did a we have a policy analysis that came out on, on June seventh called "Drug Paraphernalia Laws Undermine Harm Reduction," and I think I just explained why. And uh, it was co-authored with Sophia Heimowitz, who 
uh, when we uh, started doing research for this, uh, she was a, an intern uh, in, the, in the Cato uh, Health Policy Studies Department. She's uh, since uh, gone on. She graduated the University of Michigan uh, with a degree in public uh, in public health, and uh, now um, she's going to be starting uh, next month working at the R Street Institute. Uh, I just wanted to give her props because she did a lot of great work on this. So we we looked at every single state in the District of Columbia. Uh, about to examine how their drug paraphernalia laws work, because if we're going to do anything, get the overdose rate down, we got to let these organizations do what they want to do. Turns out, Alaska it doesn't have any drug paraphernalia laws. It's the only state in the union that never put them on the books. So, if you're a, a, a harm reduction group, and you, and, and incidentally, this doesn't necessarily have to require taxpayer funding. Uh, there are a lot of organizations that raise their own money. Uh, and some are church organizations. Some are just groups of people who care about people who are dying from drug overdose deaths. Uh, but uh, and in Alaska, there's no state uh, obstacle to doing that. Okay, some small municipalities may have their own municipal rules, but there's no state obstacle. Every other state in the District of Columbia has drug paraphernalia laws. And as I said earlier, this complicates efforts to set up syringe services programs or do something as simple as hand out fentanyl test strips. So uh, fortunately, some states are beginning to make modifications, but even when they do, they because of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of politicians saying well, we don't want, want to enable this immoral behavior uh, by uh, making it less dangerous. So so uh, we're going to put rules on this. So for example, many states that have allowed syringe services program to exist, and they're, they're about half the states, they're out, they're against the law. They're completely in violation of drug paraphernalia laws. But in other states, uh, they, they don't explicitly say, uh, you cannot set up a syringe services program. They kind of, the law is sort of silent on that. So there are organizations setting up syringe services programs, and they're concerned about, gee, the way the law is written, we don't know, are we legal or not? And so that, that tends to, you know, obviously inhibit that. And then there are some states that now have explicitly passed laws saying you can set up a syringe services program, and we're making this an exemption in our drug paraphernalia laws. But in order to do that, your syringe services program must meet the following criteria. Now, obviously, the more hindrances you put on it, the harder it is for them to function properly. So some states, would, for example, say you must uh, make a one-to-one -one exchange. So for every syringe you hand out, you got to get one. Well, that's kind of, you know, asking a lot because a lot of people who are, some of them are living on the street, they maybe don't have their syringe with them. So you're supposed to be able to, if you get inspected by law enforcement or whatever agency's overseeing you, you got to be able to show that you're collecting one for everyone you give out. If you go to a hospital and uh, you have used a syringe, there is a bin uh, attached to the wall that is specifically for medical waste. And medical waste needs to be handled very carefully. And uh, in the case of nonprofits trying to set up an organization and, and trying to operate within the confines of a law that says you need to be able to present essentially medical waste to public authorities, that that itself poses a risk to the people who are trying to trying to do good, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, sure it does. Uh, and 
and by the way, it's interesting you mention that because some of these uh, syringe services programs are trying to get around this uh, this requirement of having you know uh, same amount of needles given out as collected by having their volunteers go around, go around town trying to find needles and syringes or asking any friends or relatives who uh, are let's say diabetics and they're and they're they're done with their syringes could you donate them to us so that we could present to authorities the same number of syringes that we gave out, which is, uh, you know, silly. Um, Arizona in May of 2021 just passed a law legalizing uh, syringe services programs explicitly. They also separately passed a law taking fentanyl test strips off of their list of forbidden paraphernalia so that people can hand out fentanyl test strips so you can see if, if what you think, if you think you're taking heroin or maybe you purchased an oxycodone pill but it really is fentanyl that was pressed into a counterfeit oxycodone pill you could test it before you take it and possibly overdose because the fentanyl is so potent so um the the, the uh to to their credit the the latest uh uh drugs are in the Biden administration Rahul Gupta seems to be a proponent of harm reduction and uh that the ONDCP, uh, Office of National Drug Control Policy, recently released what they consider model legislation, which, which says if you're not going to, obviously, they're not telling people to repeal their drug paraphernalia, but if you're going to uh, pass uh, legalization explicitly of syringe services programs, this is our suggested way of doing it. And they had input from some very uh, notable experts on this, including Corey Davis, uh, who, who uh, I heavily cite in in, in the policy analysis. Uh, he's a longtime uh, harm reduction expert, um, and basically uh, the legislation, the model legislation, has as few encumbrances as possible on harm reduction organizations seeking to operate. In our policy analysis, uh, our recommendation is obviously number one: if you want to stop overdose deaths. Uh, you want to reduce overdose deaths. You're never going to completely stop them. Number one is end drug prohibition. If you can't do that, then number two is get rid of all your drug paraphernalia laws and be like Alaska. And if you can't do that, then at least pass clean syringe services programs legislation similar to uh, the model legislation, interestingly, that was just proposed. But we need to be clear here, essentially what a lot of states are doing in even even the process of relaxing their laws to allow these organizations to get up and running, to help uh, uh, people who are dependent or addicted to have access to clean needles. They're essentially licensing these organizations with uh, a variety of hurdles that they need to overcome. Yes. In fact, uh, some states are saying you can only set up a syringe services program if you have been approved by your county Department of Health and you need to seek approval every year. You have to renew the approval. Um, some states have put a fixed number on how many syringe services programs can exist in that state. All sorts of uh, limitations like that. And if the goal is to reduce overdose deaths and you have people who want to help. And there, there are some simple things you can do to reduce deaths from overdose or the spread of HIV and hepatitis, both of which are, you know, have ep are, are, are increasing at epidemic levels. This, this should be, you know, low-hanging fruit. But unfortunately, 
uh, what stands in the way a lot of times are, you know, the stigmatization associated with uh, people who are using drugs in the black market and uh, moralization on behalf of a lot of lawmakers who basically say, I don't want to be condoning this behavior. So uh, if you're going to if we're going to allow these harm reduction organizations to, to function, we're going to have to put a lot of restrictions on them because I don't want this to be in any way enable bad behavior. So I am uh, the median state lawmaker who understands that uh, there's a drug problem in my state. And what I am concerned about uh, primarily is voters who think that I am soft on drugs and uh, understanding that we don't want to send the wrong message to the public about the use of illegal drugs. You just basically defined the problem. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the message that needs to be uh, uh, conveyed to, to the public by lawmakers and policymakers is that this is, this is just realis realism. This isn't judgmental. This in no way says it's good or bad to engage in the, these use of these substances. It's recognizing that when you obtain substances on a black market, you can't be sure what's in it, uh, it's or if it's even what it says it is, uh, and um, which and, and not only that, but you because paraphernalia is illegal, you're forcing people who are using illicit drugs to share needles, which helps spread. HIV and hepatitis, among other illnesses, and spreads bacterial infections. So uh, you're you're just taking this since every nowadays almost everyone has some friend or relative who's been affected by drug prohibition indirectly or directly, and uh, you're just basically trying to allow people who want to save lives, you're letting them save lives. That's all you're doing, and you need to look at it that way. Jeff Singer is co-author of the new Cato paper, Drug Paraphernalia Laws Undermine Harm Reduction. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.